Amen. Uh, I'll invite you to turn your Bibles tonight to the book of Hebrews. I'm going to start a new series this evening. And, and uh, uh, starting new series are always the most difficult part of what I do as far as the teaching part of what I do is concerned. Um, once I get on a topic, I, I, it seems like it grows and grows and grows on me and I never come to an end point. Uh, I don't think I've ever taught on anything as far as I wanted to go. But, you know, after 52 weeks or whatever it is on the same subject, people are starting to say, you've got to stop, you've got to change titles or something. And um, uh, and so once I get on a track, that it seems to be an easy part. But finding a new topic is uh, is difficult for me. And uh, and part of the reason for that is because I am such, you know, plain Jane, vanilla, and, you know, that kind of stuff. I see other preachers and see their sermon titles and, you know, how to overcome in life and stuff like that. And I think, wow, that just sounds great. And uh, and I look at uh, look at the things that other people are doing. And, and I don't know if people come up with this stuff themselves or if they have other people, you know, coming up with titles for them. I don't know how it works. Um, but the reality is... For me as an individual, because the, the focus of my life and the, the purpose that I have is not just to pastor, but as a believer is to grow in the things of God, to grow spiritually. For that reason, I do more studying on, on um, uh, a few topics, three or four topics, over and over and over again than any other thing. I don't start new stuff. And one of the things that I study on and, and uh, meditate on and, and read on and and, uh, and pray to, to get greater revelation on is the subject of faith. But everybody's heard faith, right? Or we think we have. But the fact is, for all these guys that come up with the great and exciting topics, uh, titles for their topics, the only way you can overcome in life is to grow in faith. The Bible says this, faith is the victory that overcomes the world. So if you're going to overcome in life, you're going to have to grow in faith. Now, whether you call it that or not, I mean, maybe that's the, uh, maybe that's the thing that other people do. They come in the back door so nobody knows what they're learning. But, um, uh, but I'm going to teach on the subject of faith. And um, uh, I was reminded, uh, it's kind of, when I got it in my heart, it's kind of like, oh, Lord, you've got to be kidding. I teach on faith and or healing in some aspect almost every Sunday night. You know, uh, we're going to do this on Wednesday nights. And the Lord reminded me that Brother Hagin used to do these extended meetings. The longest meeting you ever had at one place uh, uh, for a period of time was nine weeks. And he'd go into a place for four weeks, five weeks, six weeks, seven weeks, not up to nine weeks, whatever it is. And every day he would teach on the morning in the morning service on the subject of faith. And in the evening services, he'd teach on healing most times if he was in a church. And other times he would teach on, uh, you know, different topics, how to be led by the Spirit or whatever the case might be. But he would teach morning after morning after morning. I was reminded that his uh, faith study guide has 26 lessons. So we've got 26 weeks that we can cover, you know, without doing any extra work. But, um, but it's, a, it's an interesting thing. One of the reasons that the Lord dealt with me about this is uh, um, I try to teach something that's, that's, uh, uh, that's alive for me. I've heard things taught, and I'm sure you have too in times past. And it was interesting when I heard it, but I couldn't tell you what I was taught. It wasn't something that stuck with me. You know, it may have piqued my interest at the moment, but it wasn't something that, that, uh, that I lived off of. It wasn't anything that, that uh, made a big difference in my spiritual growth or my spiritual development. But every time I study the subject of faith, every time I listen to a tape of Brother Hagin's that I've heard a gazillion times, I don't want to exaggerate, so you put your own definition of what a gazillion is. Every time I listen to something, I get something new out of it. Or I'm reminded of something that I knew before and maybe let slip or something. There's nothing about the Word of God in any area, but particularly something that you've heard over and over and over again. There's nothing about the Word of God except that it can become new for you all over again. Jesus said, the words that I speak unto you, they're spirit and they're life. So I'm going to take the subject to faith. Tonight I'm just going to introduce the topic. And, uh, and I'm going to talk about it... Uh, I've done this a number of different ways in times past in the, the 20 whatever years we've been doing this um, uh, pastoring the church since 1986. I've taught on faith no telling how many times and I always try to approach it from the standpoint of the people don't know anything. And so I try to break it down. Now, I got that, in, got that idea from Brother Hagin. You may have heard Brother Hagin tell the story about one church that he pastored. There was a guy in his church that we'd say nowadays that he had a, a minor learning disability. 
Brother Hagin just said he was slow. He wasn't, he wasn't uh, mentally retarded or anything. He was just, uh, just slow. And he would ask him after each service, did you get what I was talking about this morning? And he'd say, well, no, Brother Hagin, I, I, I'm sorry. I tried, but I, I just couldn't get it. He kept breaking it down simpler and simpler until this guy got it. Because he knew that if this guy could get it, anybody could get it. And so for that reason, I've always tried to make things just as simple as I can. But it's hard to find somebody, at least somebody that's interested in coming to our church. It's hard to find somebody that hasn't heard something about faith. And it's really kind of hard to find somebody that doesn't think they already know everything about faith. And so I'm going to approach it from a little different different, uh, direction. I've been saved now for almost, uh, well, let's see, it'll be 52 years this November. I've been walking with the Lord and, and putting the word to work. For about uh, uh, 40 of those. And then I've been pastoring. Been ministering for about 30 something. 35 years. Something like that. And I saw something about faith the other day. That I'd never seen before. And I thought. I remembered back to that. When the Lord put this on my heart. And, and he just spoke so clearly to me. He said if there's things that you haven't seen about it. Don't you think there are things that they haven't seen about it too. So I'm just going to take the subject of faith. I don't know exactly how I'm going to approach it. I know what I'm going to do tonight to introduce the subject. But I don't know what I'm going to do. But we're going to take this thing and we're going to break it down just in in any way that the Lord directs us to do it. We're just going to treat these next however many numbers of, of Wednesday nights that we go as a faith seminar. Where better to have a faith seminar than in your own church? Amen? Because faith's the answer. No matter what your problem is, faith is the answer. Amen? So Hebrews chapter 11, if you're going to talk about the subject of faith, you might as well define it. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1, now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. One translation says it this way. There's a lot of other good translations on this. One translation says faith means we're confident of what we hope for and convinced of what we don't see. Please notice in whatever, whatever translation you want to use, whatever version of the Bible that you're reading, however it shows, please notice that the one thing that's going to be common about this is things not seen. Faith deals with the unseen. Do you remember over in, uh, in John chapter 3 when Nicodemus came to, uh, to Jesus? Let me, uh, let me turn over there and read it to you in case I don't want to misquote it. Uh, John chapter 3, Nicodemus comes to Jesus and says, Rabbi, we know that you're come from God because nobody can do these miracles that you do except God be with him. And Jesus answered and said unto him, Verily, verily, this is John chapter 3, verse 3, Verily, verily, I say unto you, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. He's talking about the connection between the miraculous and the kingdom of God. And he says the way in is to be born again. He's not changing the subject on it. He's saying miracles are a part of the kingdom of God. Now, how many of you are in the kingdom of God? Well, if you're born again, you are. So let me ask it that way. How many of you have been born again? Well, guess what belongs to you? Let me say that again. Guess what belongs to you? Miracles. Because you're in the kingdom of God. Miracles belong to you. They just don't happen every now and then when God takes a notion to doing something different. Miracles belong to you. Well, Pastor Mike, if miracles belong to us, why don't we have more of them than we have? Because we either don't know or we don't believe. We've never even thought, either thought about it from the standpoint of miracles belong to us, so therefore let's put our faith on them, or we don't know how to believe for them because we don't know what the Word says. So even that comes down to faith, doesn't it? You can't be born again without believing in Jesus. Faith is the way that you're born again. So Jesus said, except a man be born again, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said unto him, how can a man be born again when he is old or born when he is old? Can he enter the second time into his mother's womb and be born? And Jesus answered and said, said, verily I say unto thee, except a man be born of water and of the spirit. Water is natural birth, spirit is is, uh, spiritual birth or the recreation of the human spirit. Except a man be born of water and of the spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Now, folks, I want you to realize that he's talking about a principle here. And that's true for your life. What you bear in the flesh will only serve your flesh. But what's born of the Spirit, and faith is a spiritual force, what's born of the Spirit is spirit. In other words, he's saying the Spirit is as important or more important than the flesh when it comes to the things of God or the kingdom of God. 
That's what he's saying, isn't it? He's going to continue along this line. He said in verse 7, Marvel not that I said unto you, you must be born again. Now he's going to describe what it means between the, what the difference is between the flesh and the spirit. He said, the wind blows where it listeth, and thou hearest the sound thereof, but canst not tell whence it cometh, and whether it goeth. So is everyone that is born of the spirit. Do you know what he's saying? He's saying spiritual things are unseen. He says, you can tell when the wind's blowing, but you don't know anything about it because you can't see it. We say sometimes we see the wind blowing, but we don't. We may see dust in the air. We may see the leaves moving on the trees, but we don't see the wind. The wind is unseen. And Jesus uses a natural example to show the difference between things that you see and things that you don't see. Now, remember over in 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 14, it says this. It says, the natural man, but the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God. For they are foolishness unto him. Neither can he know them, the things of the Spirit of God, because they're spiritually discerned. One translation says spiritually understood. Another translation says spiritually perceived. In other words, he's saying, Paul is saying by the Holy Ghost, that the natural man, let's define our terms. Who is the natural man? The natural man is the man that walks by his five physical senses. Walks according to what he sees, according to what he feels, and according to what he hears here on this earth. He's walking according to his five physical senses. Paul says that man, he's instructed by the Holy Ghost to tell us, the man that walks according to his five physical senses cannot perceive the things of the Spirit of God because they're not spiritually, or because they're spiritually understood, they're not naturally understood, they're not understood that the five physical senses. That means there must, there must of necessity be a spiritual sense that enables us to take hold. That spiritual sense is faith. Now, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. The evidence of things not seen. How many of you know that there's gravity that operates here on the earth? You ever seen it? How do you know it's working? Because you were taught that it does. You've never seen gravity. Nobody's ever seen gravity. They don't even know how to measure gravity. You know how strong gravity is? How many of you don't know how strong gravity is? Don't worry. Scientists don't either. They've never been able to measure it. They know it's an acceleration vector, whatever that means. They know that there is pressure. There is force that's put upon us that attracts us to the center of the earth. And scientists tell us that without gravity, we'd all float off into space. How do they know? They've never been able to duplicate it. They may have been able to simulate it in certain conditions, but there has never been a time, there's never been an individual, there's never been an occurrence for even one second where gravity didn't work so they could see what happens if it's not there. So why do we accept what scientists tell us? The same scientists are telling us that by now the, the polar ice cap was going to be gone and global warming would have you know, done us in. They were wrong on that. Why do we believe scientists that tell us? Because we've been taught it and taught it and taught it and taught it. Our minds have been renewed and instructed to the fact, scientific fact, what they claim is a scientific fact. I'm not trying to dispute gravity. I'm just saying there's no way that they could know everything that they've taught us as a certainty. Now, I believe it is a certainty, but how do they know? But see, this is the same reasoning that the natural man uses with spiritual things. How do you know? Healing belongs to you. How do you know? Jesus took your infirmities and bore your sickness. How do you know? You go tell somebody, well, I was prayed for the other night in church and I believe I received my healing. How do you know? Do you feel any better? They immediately start giving you objections. Immediately start raising objections to why it's not true. Well, how do they know? The natural man cannot perceive or cannot receive of the things of the Spirit of God because they're not naturally understood. They're not perceived by the five physical senses. He can't know them because the natural man operates according to his senses. Now, Jesus said, twice Jesus said, John chapter 5 and John chapter 6, and once in John chapter 3, John the Baptist said, He that believeth hath. He goes on to say, He that believeth hath everlasting life. But I want you to see the principle. He that believeth hath. He that believeth hath. If gravity worked in a natural way, like faith works in the spirit realm, then only the people that were held here on the earth, or only the people that believed in gravity, would be the ones that were held here on the earth. 
which means there'd be a lot of young kids before they've learned that'd be flying off into space. My point is simply this. Since the Bible says that faith comes by hearing, faith in everything comes by hearing. Your faith in gravity comes by hearing. Your faith in the laws of nature comes from the things that you heard taught in school. They were right about some of them, most of them. But I was interested to find out that there's a different number of planets now than what they, uh, in our solar system, than what they told, them, told us when I was growing up. I think we lost one some way or another. I'm not sure how exactly that worked. But they taught me. My mind was renewed to, was it nine planets in the solar system? Now there's only eight. Son of a gun. You see my point. What you're taught and accept to be true is what you have faith in. Even things that you can't see. Natural things that you can't see. Even natural things that you cannot see. Faith, therefore, is the spiritual sense that enables you to receive from the things of God. Now, go back to that phrase that I used that Jesus said twice and that John the Baptist said once. He that believeth hath. He that believeth hath. You're going to have, have to have food before you can taste it. Right? Now, if you don't hear your food, you don't doubt that it's there, do you? Our five physical senses work independently of one another. You don't always hear the things that you see. You don't always see the things that you hear. F.F. F. Bosworth used to use the example of perfume. He said perfume is dead to the sense of hearing. It's unknown to the sense of hearing. What do we doubt the existence of perfume because we can't hear it? No, no more than we doubt the existence of gravity because we can't see it. Why? Because we've been taught, we've been educated. Our minds have been renewed and instructed according to certain five uh, things based on our five, five physical senses. Now, another thing you need to understand is every bit of schooling that we gained, I don't care how educated you are, Really educated or not very educated. Every bit of education that we receive in this earth, in this life, from, the ed- from our uh, educational system, from kindergarten all, through, all the way through university status or even beyond that, graduate work and so forth, is information gained through the five physical senses. So the, the educational system has developed us to be natural men. The problem is the natural man can't receive the things of God. Not one bit of that education that you received is going to do you any good in receiving from God. Not one bit. And in fact, in, some, in many cases, most cases I would venture to say, the more educated somebody is, the more that they've been trained and, and schooled in the operation of their five physical senses. In many cases, that makes it even more difficult for them to set those aside to believe and use the spiritual sense called faith. But if you don't do that, then you're hopelessly lost. There's no way. How many times do we see that people, the, the, the hindrance or the, the roadblock for people being saved is they're too educated? It doesn't make sense. That's the first thing Jesus talked to Nicodemus about. Why? Because Nicodemus was an educated man. He was a scholar. Oh, good master, we know that God's with you. Nobody can do miracles like you're doing except God be with him. Jesus said, you're going to have to set aside everything you see and believe something you don't. If you're really interested in the kingdom of God, if you're really interested in miracles, you're going to have to set aside the things that you can see, the things that you've been taught, the things that are according to your five physical senses, and you're going to have to believe in something you can't see. First thing, right off the bat, Jesus' description about being born again was believing in what you can't see. Now, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Let me, uh, I'm going to spend a lot more time on this uh, as we go, but uh, I want you to turn with me over to Mark chapter 11. Mark chapter 11. I hit on this a little bit on, um, on Sunday night in heating school. But this is the thing that, uh, at least at this point in, uh, in the series and in the direction that I think God's given me to go, This is really the thing that I'm going to major on throughout this series. Notice Jesus said, talking about faith, he's just cursed the fig tree the day before and comes by that uh, uh, same place and they see the fig tree dried up from the roots. In other words, uh, an unnatural occurrence is is taking place in the fig tree. 
an unnatural occurrence. It's not a natural course of, uh, of tree decay or tree disease or anything like that. We've used the example before, uh, and I don't know a better one to use, but if somebody had taken an axe or a chainsaw and cut the thing off at the roots or cut the thing off at, you know, at ground level, it would still be green leaves on the tree as it laid down. And it would, it would take several days for that life in the tree to run out, wouldn't it? That would be the normal course of things. But if they come by the next morning, they see the tree dried up from the roots. In other words, something unnatural, or should we say supernatural, has happened to this tree. Now, the only thing they know about the tree is that Jesus cursed it. Jesus spoke to it. He said, no man eat fruit of thee hereafter forever. In other words, he's saying, die. They come by the next morning and it's dead. Dried up from the roots. And so Peter recognizes this is not a normal thing. Calling to his remembrance saying, master, the the tree which thou cursest is withered away. And Jesus answering, notice verse 22. Jesus answering said, have faith in God. Jesus answering said. Where's the question? Peter didn't ask a question. He said, Master, the fig tree which you cursed yesterday is withered away. He's making a statement of fact. He's not asking a question, but Jesus understands that there's a question behind it. What happened here? I want to know about this. I see the results. I want to know about this. I want to know what happened. Jesus answering the unspoken question said, have faith in God. So what does Jesus identify first and foremost as the agent, the supernatural agent that caused this tree to die in a supernatural manner? What is the, the, the uh, vehicle, the manner, the operation that caused Jesus' words, which contradicted everything about what, he, what the people saw, which contradicted everything about the natural circumstance, the physical facts, what caused Jesus' words to overcome the physical conditions that existed with, regarding that tree? Jesus answering said, have faith in God. Jesus doesn't just say, it was my faith that did it. He's, he's trying to tell them, this is not something that's just for me. You have faith in God. This will work for you too. That's why he's answering this way. He's not just saying, okay, let me explain. I used my faith. Well, we know he did because he spoke to the tree. He told the tree what he expected of it, and it happened the next morning. Or by the next morning. We don't know when exactly it took place. But by the next morning when they go by, it's, uh, it's occurred, right? So Jesus is not saying, my faith has done this, although we know that is true. He's speaking to them saying, here's how you use faith. Here's this thing, this mystery thing called faith, this spiritual sense that is necessary to receive of anything and everything of the Spirit of God. Here's the spiritual sense that's necessary for you to overcome the five physical senses with, and here's how it works, have faith in God. For verily I say unto you, whosoever shall say. First thing he mentions about faith is the words that you speak. Whosoever shall say unto this mountain, be thou removed and be thou cast into the sea. Here's the only condition he places. And shall not doubt in his heart. And shall not doubt in his heart, but shall believe. Well, if he's talking about not doubting in his heart, he's got to be talking about believing in the heart, right? Now, the heart he's talking about here is the spirit. So he's saying this, very, and allow me to, to interchange or interpose these words. Therefore, I say unto you, who, uh, what things, uh, I'm sorry, I skipped over. Whosoever shall say unto this mountain, back to verse 23. Whosoever shall say unto this mountain, be thou removed and be thou, and be thou cast into the sea, and shall not doubt in his spirit, but shall believe in his spirit. Shall not doubt in his spirit, but shall believe in his spirit. Now, let me tell you why he said it that way. The fact that someone would speak to a mountain indicates indicates that he's believing in his spirit. But the act of believing in your spirit has to be maintained. And so that's why he said, and shall not doubt in his spirit. But shall believe, but shall continue to believe. The faith that you start with or the belief in your heart, your spirit, that you start with to speak the words to begin with has to be maintained. Believing has to be continuous. In other words, 
Whosoever shall say unto this mountain, Be thou removed and be thou cast into the sea, and shall not doubt in his heart, but shall believe in his heart or in his spirit, that those things which he saith shall come to pass. What are we supposed to believe in our spirit? That our words will come to pass. Now what is going to happen if we believe in our hearts or believe in our spirits, use this spiritual sense called faith and speak to the mountains or the problems or whatever obstacles are in our lives, what's going to happen if we believe that the words that we speak will come to pass? They'll come to pass. Remember the principle that Jesus spoke several times earlier in, uh, in the, early in the book of John, he that believeth hath. He that believeth hath. See, believing comes before having. That's what Jesus is saying here in Mark chapter 11, verse 23. Whosoever shall say unto this mountain, be thou removed and be thou cast into the sea, and shall not doubt in his heart, but shall believe in his heart that those things which he saith shall come to pass, he shall have whatsoever he saith. In other words, believe and you'll have. Believe and you'll have. Believe and you'll have. Now, if he's talking about believing in your heart, then doubting in your heart must be the opposite of believing in your heart. So believing in your heart, believing with your spirit, the opposite of that would be the natural man that believes according to his five physical senses. Therefore, doubt in the heart would have to be some word spoken or some action taken that is contrary to the original word spoken to the problem. Those words spoken, those actions taken would be based on what you see or feel or hear or taste or smell or, did I miss any one of them? The five physical senses. Instead of believing that the words that you say will come to pass. That's got to be what doubting in your heart is, folks. Because believing in your heart is believing that your words are going to come to pass. Not believing that things will continue as normal. And Jesus didn't put any restrictions on this. He said faith in God will change anything. Faith in God's word will change anything. Or as he described to have faith in God, God and his word are one. If you have faith in God, you have to have faith in his word. You can't believe in God and not believe in his word. Although a lot of people do that and think they're getting by with it. A lot of people will claim to believe in God and not have any respect to the word of God or what it says about how to conduct their lives in any way whatsoever. That's not believing in God. You can't separate God from his word. God and his word are one. Then Jesus says in verse 24, Therefore I say unto you, because the principle of verse 23 works, if you say and believe in your heart and continue to believe in your heart that what you say will come to pass, you will have whatsoever you say. Because this principle works, therefore I say unto you, verse 24, Mark chapter 11, verse 24, What things soever you desire, when you pray, believe that you receive them, the things that you desire, and you shall have them. Notice Jesus is saying that the blessings of God, the desire, the things that you desire, exist in two forms. First, in an invisible form, and secondly, invisible form. The things that you desire, whatever you desire, exists through the operation of faith, exists first in an unseen form. But if you maintain your faith, hold fast your your profession, don't doubt in your heart, then it will materialize. It will become seen. But remember the principle, we'll go back to this over and over again, he that believeth hath. He that believeth hath. Believing comes before the having. So many people are praying and looking to see if they have it so that they can believe in it. And it's exactly the opposite of the way faith works. Brother Hagin said this was a big stumbling block for him. He'd pray and he'd pray and he'd pray. Get blessed praying for his healing. When he was on the sick bed and paralyzed, almost totally paralyzed. He'd pray and pray and pray. Get blessed pray and have a great time of fellowship with the Lord and then check his body and and nothing would be different. He'd, then he'd, all the joy and, and, and blessing that he had through this time of prayer then turned to sorrow. Now he's crying and he's complaining. Oh, Lord, I thought you heard me. See, he was judging God, by, judging God and whether or not God heard him by whether or not he's changed in his body. 
In other words, he's trying to have before he believes. And that's what the Lord had to deal with him about. The believing comes before the having. So the things that you desire, everything that you desire, every promise of God coming to pass on your behalf, exists first in an unseen form. Now, which is more real, when it's unseen or when it's seen? Well, it depends on when you, uh, to whom you mean. If you mean to your physical senses, it's more real when you see it. But remember, that's the natural man operating. And the natural man receives not for the things of the Spirit of God. For their foolishness unto him, neither can he know them. The natural man, the man operating by his five physical senses, cannot know the things of God. In other words, he'll never have the blessings of God in his life. Doesn't matter that Jesus paid for them. Doesn't matter that Jesus said faith will make anything possible. He's not going to have the things of God, the things of the Spirit of God, because he's operating according to his five physical senses. The natural man cannot receive of the things of God. Why? Because faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things that you don't see. If you're believing for healing, when is it more real? When you believe you receive it, when it's unseen, or when your body changes. Folks, it's more real when it's unseen. We, uh, we've already turned away from uh, Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. Verse 2 goes on to say, through it or by faith, the elders obtained a good report. Most other translations say something along the lines of, through faith, the, uh, the, our forefathers or the patriarchs obtained God's approval. One translation says it this way. It says, through faith, the patriarch's name was made great. Now, people think about pleasing God and people think about doing things that, that God approves of and so forth. And, and nearly, nearly all of the church world, I would surmise, uh, thinks about doing good works, handing out tracts or, uh, uh, you know, visiting the sick or visiting in hospitals or, you know, doing, doing good works, whatever you can attach to good works. But the Bible says that the only way you can make your name great with God is through faith. In other words, believing in the unseen. Believing in the unseen. Now, folks, here's the thing that I want you to get. Let's, uh, we'll talk about it in a couple of different areas. In the area of healing, there was a day, a literal day, that Jesus hung on the cross and shed his blood. This is not fairy tale stuff. There's a real day that it happened. There was a real day in the history of the world, the history of mankind, where Jesus spilled his blood. And the shedding of his blood, the Bible says, Took your, paid the price for, took your infirmities and bore your sicknesses. In other words, he paid the price for healing. That was a real event. It blesses me to think about, think about it in those terms. That was a real happening. We think about American history. There was a real day that George Washington, you know, led the uh, uh, Continental Army to, to victory. There was a real day when those battles took place. When America's freedom was obtained through bloodshed. That, those were real, li real life events. But somehow or another it seems like we think of historical events in a different way than we think about what Jesus did on the cross. Jesus dying on the cross was a historical event. It really happened. It's not some fairy tale that we're supposed to believe in and, and somehow or another God will, if God takes a liking to us, he'll make things work out for us. No, it really happened. Jesus really shed his blood. The price for sickness was really paid. Healing was really obtained. Healing exists for everyone who believes. He that believeth hath. He that believeth, in, uh, he that believeth or has faith in healing will have healing. So when is healing more real? Now? Or from the point in time that Jesus paid the price for it, even though it's unseen to you and me, or when it's seen in our bodies. See, we're so naturally oriented. We're so oriented to our five physical senses. We want to see it. We want to, we want to experience it. The Bible says, Peter said it this way. He said, the trying of your faith is more precious than gold. Let's look at it in another area, another, another aspect. 
The Bible says that the chastisement of our peace was upon Jesus. On that very real day when Jesus shed his blood, not only did he pay the price for sin and death, not only did he pay the price for sickness, he paid the price for the curse of poverty. That really happened. And because he paid the price for the curse of poverty, prosperity belongs to you and me and to everyone that believes. Now, Peter said this. He said, the trying of your faith is more precious than gold. When is the gold that you may be believing for more real? When it's unseen or when it's in your bank book or bank account? Well, it might be more real to the bank when it's in your account. But when is it more real? Jesus said, you can have what you say. Jesus said, whatever you say, if you don't doubt in your heart, in other words, don't start operating by your five physical senses, but believe in your heart, continue to have faith in your heart that what you say will come to pass, you'll have whatsoever you say. So if you're confessing for money to meet your needs or to to whatever it is you, you have a desire for, if you're confessing for finances, when is it more real? In reality, in in truth, it's more real when you can't see it than when you can see it. And when Peter said the trying of your faith is more precious than gold, the fight of faith, the confession of our faith while it's unseen is more precious than the gold that appears or comes to us because of our faith. We don't think like that, do we? We think of the fight of faith as being a pain in the neck. Why in the world is there a fight attached to faith? Why can't we just say and get results? Why can't we just get overnight results? I mean, Jesus cursed the fig tree and it died overnight. I I don't know about you, but I'd be willing to believe anything overnight. Wouldn't it be great if Jesus said, what things soever you desire, when you pray, believe that you receive them for 10 minutes and you'll have them. Everybody would do that. But they'd be walking by sight. They'd have their eye on the clock. They wouldn't have their eye on God or his promises. They'd have their eye on the clock. So the believing for finances is more precious than the finances. That's what Peter's saying. The trying of your faith is more precious than gold. The fight of faith, the confession of our faith for things we can't see is more precious than the thing that we're believing for. I wish I could get across the things that I'm seeing. Because I think, it seems to me, from my experience, I could be wrong, I hope I am. But from my experience, so often, the vast majority of the time, I'd hate to even put a number on it. That number would be so big, it's scary. The vast majority of times, when I see people believing, they're looking to see the results so that they believe that that it's real. But if you don't believe it's real before you see it, it'll never be real for you. In other words, you'll never have it. That's what Jesus is saying. And folks, please notice that in Mark chapter 11, Jesus doesn't stop and say, okay, now wait, you guys need to understand something here. What I did was after years and years and years of walking with God, you guys are not going to get this unless I stay here on the earth for another 30 years. Yet we get the idea that faith is such a hard thing. It's not, but it does take work. It does take work. Now, the work is the understanding. The work is the understanding of how it works so that we maintain our position and not slip back over into using our five physical senses to tell us what's true. That's where the real fight of faith is. That's the only thing the devil's got, folks. The only thing he's got is to use natural circumstances speaking words of doubt in your ear, trying to influence you either through words or circumstances to make you change what you're believing and what you're saying. That's all he's got. And you decide whether or not you do. Not him. He tells you it's not going to work. Well, how can he stop it from working? He can't. You can, but he can't. He knows that. He's hoping you don't. He's hoping you don't have that figured out. He's hoping that you think that if we just hang on, the Bible says just keep saying it and hold fast the confession of your faith, if we just say it and say it and say it, not really believe anything behind it, just say it and say it and say it, then the words will come true. 
Well, folks, it's not words that work that make it happen on on its own. It's faith-filled words that work, that make things appear. That's why you got people that are making good confessions and been making them forever, but they're using it like a ritual. Okay, I'm supposed to say this now. I'm supposed to say this so many times a day. What do they believe something's real that they can't yet see? What's more real, the spirit realm or the natural realm? The Bible says the natural realm will burn up. Everything, think about this. Everything that you see, everything that you feel, everything that man, natural man puts his confidence in around him. Everything that he bases his life on, every, everything that, that influences his circumstances, his money, everything about this natural realm, the Bible says will burn up with fervent heat. You know what's going to be left? The spirit realm, the things that you can't see. So in that sense, spiritual, the spirit realm will outlast the natural realm. I don't know how you would judge something, the reality of the two realms, or compare the reality of the two realms, except through the longevity. Which one is going to outlast the other one? Now, the Bible says Jesus is saying that whatever you desire, because you've been made in the image of God, whatever you desire, because you've been given authority here on the earth, whatever you desire is available to you from the spirit realm. That's what he said. He said, what thing soever you desire. He didn't say, unless it's too big. He said, what things soever you desire. When you pray, believe you receive them. That means the only restriction for what you desire is whether or not you can believe for them. So God will be as big for you as your ability to believe him. Many Christians, the only thing they're willing to believe God for is for salvation, forgiveness of sins. And that's as big as God will ever be for them. That means for them, for that individual, the fact that Jesus paid the price for sickness, the fact that Jesus paid the price for poverty, is wasted effort. Even though it's available to them, even though it's just as real for them as it is for you and me, it'll never be theirs because they won't believe for it. He that believeth hath, he that believeth not shall not have. So what's more real? The things you can't see or the things you can see? The Bible says, even in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 3, it says, everything, we know that through faith, everything that we see was created. So the spiritual sense, the spiritual force of faith was the agent whereby everything that we base our five physical senses on was created. So which is greater? The spiritual sense of faith. Wouldn't it be? Has to be. Why, therefore, would we ever allow our five physical senses to judge God's word to be untrue or to judge faith as being inactive or unsuccessful, ineffective? Why would we ever allow that? The faith, which is the evidence of what we can't see, is more real than the things that we can see. So why would we ever judge things according to what we can see and feel? Well, the answer to that is pretty simple, and that is because that's the way we've been trained the majority of our lives. So that means we're going to have to retrain ourselves if we're going to be effective and successful in faith. That's what this series is going to be about. It's going to be about retraining ourselves. Retraining ourselves to accept the reality of the spirit realm as greater reality than that which we can see and feel around us. You ever been around somebody when they died? One of the things that I've always been impressed with, and it's not just my own experience. I haven't been around all that many people, uh, some, a few. But one of the things that's always impressed me, and, and I've, I, it's, it's been with every Christian that I've ever known who had a loved one who was a Christian who went home to be with the Lord. They came away realizing how close heaven is. Now, what is it about death that makes us realize how real heaven is? 
because it's just one step over. See, we look at this natural realm and we, we think that, oh, it's so complex. It's so great. It's so massive. The universe is, is ever expanding and nobody knows how big it is or how many stars there are in the sky. And, and it, the world we live in is just a speck in the midst of this great sea of stars. And so it makes us think that everything is so complex. The buildings we build are so big and so tall. And, and that makes us feel like we're so small and so insignificant and, and, and whatever. But the spirit realm is so close to this natural realm. How long do you think it takes a person that dies, leaves their body? How long do you think it takes for them to get to heaven? A week? I mean, it must be a long trip, huh? Well, Paul said to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. In other words, it's an instantaneous step over from one realm to the other. That's how close the spirit realm is. Don't let yourself get caught up into the devil's way of thinking that things are so big and so massive and, and it's so hard to get spiritual things to, to, to uh, manifest themselves or to appear in visible form. The easiest thing in the world. Jesus proved that overnight by cursing the fig tree. The easiest thing in the world. We need to start thinking in line with the things that the Bible says about it, th- that we are citizens of heaven. We're in this world, but we're not of this world. We're sojourners, pilgrims here in this earth. Why? Because you belong to the spirit realm. Remember what Jesus said, except you be born again, you cannot enter into the kingdom of God. What's what's being born again all about? It's operating according to what you can't see. If you didn't believe in the unseen, you never would have gotten saved to begin with. We need to start seeing ourselves that way. I believe this has everything to do with the glorious church in the last days, folks. I believe that when Jesus comes back for us, the church, at least a segment of the church, certain percentage of us, are going to be operating in spiritual things to a greater degree than we've ever known. We've had people in, in throughout the history of the church, we've had a few here and there that, that caught up on to, to some of these things and realized how, uh, how willing God was to do what the Word says. How willing he was to extend himself to set people free and so forth. And we've looked at them like supermen. We hear about people like Smith Wigglesworth and John Lake. Who raised the dead and, and, and cast out sicknesses with their words. And, and, and had tremendous healings and miracles and stuff like that. We look at them like they were an aberration. Wow, what was it about them? What was unique? What was special about them? Did they just have something extra that the rest of us don't have? No, they just found out who they were. God didn't give them anything extra than he gave you. God didn't give the Apostle Paul anything more than he gave you. He gave him some revelation so that he could teach us. But the miracles that Paul did, the miracles that the apostles did, they weren't something unusual. They didn't claim this for themselves. As a matter of fact, some of the miracles that they did, Peter and John in Acts chapter 3 They said, what are you looking at us like? We've got some special power or some special place with God. It's the name of Jesus that did it. Well, doesn't that belong to everybody? Sure it does. Isn't it time we started making it work? What are we waiting for? Since it's not up to God, it's up to us. Notice Jesus didn't say when he was talking about the operation of faith, whatever God says is what you'll have. No, it's whatever you say is what you'll have. He didn't say whatever God desires for you. That's the way it's going to be. No, he said whatever you desire. When you pray, you believe that you receive them and you shall have them. Anytime start operating like that. I've always been uh, impressed by the, uh, the early church. There's a certain event, certain situation that happened where people started doing miracles in the name of Jesus and the people of that city said the gods have come down they that have turned the world upside down have come to us too man that's the way God wants the church to look he wants us to look like people that, that are gods themselves that we have to explain like Peter and, and Paul did in certain occasions, certain situations say no, 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 don't worship us, worship God we're just servants 
They wanted to sacrifice to Paul and Barnabas because of the miracles they did. Wouldn't it be great to be said of us? They that have turned the world upside down have come here too. I think it's about time we start turning the world upside down. Actually, at this condition it's in, it'd be right side up. That's what God wants for you. That's what God will do with you. If we just learn how to step over. I believe the last days will be days of miracle ministries. And, and, and I don't think it'll be anything uncommon. I don't think it'll be anything that, that's a special deal. Of course, there'll be some that'll use it to their own advantage instead of the way God wants it to be done. That's always been the case. But we won't let those stop us. But miracles will become commonplace. But they'll only become commonplace if man steps into the place where he's supposed to be. Not because God decides, well, okay, I'm tired of waiting on you guys. I'm going to do miracles anyway. That's not how it works, folks. It works when we believe. It works when we take hold. Well, there's only one way you can take hold, and that's by faith. The spirit realm is more real than this natural realm. The blessings of God, the Bible says you've been blessed with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places. Those blessings are more real than the problems that you face. God's promise of prosperity, the paid for prosperity that belongs to you, is more real to you than the, than the death that may be staring at you on the desk. The healing that Jesus paid for is more real than the sickness the doctor may have diagnosed. These are real things. Just because they're unseen, don't let the devil talk you into thinking they're not real. Jesus spoke of both unseen blessings and then those blessings that become visible. They're just as real in the unseen realm. Well, let's all stand. I think you can see where we're going to maybe go a little different direction with some of this. I'm looking for some good results out of this. I'm looking, for, I'm looking to grow and understand more about faith than I ever have. And I'm looking for the same thing out of you. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your word. Thank you that your words are spirit and their life. Thank you for teaching us and instructing us. Father, we pray that you would cause us to be filled with the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of you. Father, help us in this series particularly. That whether we hear things that we've heard a thousand times, let us hear it like it's the first time. Let it take root in our hearts. Like it's never been heard before. I thank you Father for giving me utterance throughout this entirety. The entirety of this series. I thank you Father that you will change people's lives. As we learn to step out and use our faith effectively. Show us how simple it is Father. Show us how close the spirit realm is to us. Show us our place where we stand in that spirit realm. So that we can operate and do the works of Jesus here in the earth. We ask these things in the precious and holy name of Jesus. Amen.